Hey everyone, great to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I have an ad, it's actually an ad for myself. Uh, it is to let you know that my new book is out. It's called Rest, Refocus, Recharge, A Guide for Optimizing Your Life, published by Harper Collins. Very, very excited about this. Took a long time to write and research and pull together. Um, it was super challenging, but I'm really happy with how where we landed on it. Basically, this is all came coming out of a place where when we did the ripple effect, it was great, but everyone would speak to me afterwards and be like, these ideas are awesome, but I'm just so busy, I don't have time. So what I wanted to do was to provide everyone with ideas for how to integrate these ideas about health, well-being, high performance into your life in a very, very easy, very, very um, tactical way that you can actually integrate. So for example, taking a couple of breaths to relax or to calm down if you're stressed, or what are some super healthy snacks that you can use in the middle of the day that are easy, cheap, and fast to make, or how do you take a great vacation uh, and completely disconnect? And then we grounded all of that in the latest science around neurophysiology and how the brain works to optimize creativity, learning, problem solving, and concentration. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're psyched to hear, learn more and to explore those ideas, I would be infinitely grateful if you wanted to pick up a copy of the book. It's available at Amazon in Canada and the States. Just search Greg Wells and Rest, Refocus, Recharge, and you'll find it. It's also on Indigo um, and all of the bookstores in Canada if you want to check that out. Uh, Neil Pasricha, the number one best-selling author of You Are Awesome, described it as a prescription for space in a world of noise. So really pleased to um, have had that little support moment from from Neil and he's been on the show if you want to check him out. So thanks for considering it. Really appreciate it. I'm really proud of the book. I know it's going to be super helpful for you. So if you want to pick up a copy, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Greg Wells, and it's great to have you here for my podcast, where every week I do my best to deconstruct excellence and share the best information, the best research, the best ideas, the best tactics around health, well-being, and high performance so that you can live a great life. And this week, we dig into marathon training. And this is sort of back to my roots in terms of exercise physiology and exercise training the weather's getting better in the Northern Hemisphere, if you're listening, and from anywhere basically other than Australia, uh, where it is getting into winter. But uh, in North America, Europe, it is getting nice and people are getting outside. And that is fantastic. Obviously, respecting physical distancing, don't uh, yeah, wear a mask and, you know, sorry, do wear a mask and uh, make sure that we return to uh a better world where we're not confined in a way that's safe. So in this interview, I chat to Angie and Trevor from the Marathon Training Academy podcast. They interviewed me and we talk about a whole bunch of information. They started the podcast in 2010 to help inspire and empower everyday people to live healthier lives and achieve fitness goals by unleashing their marathon potential. The show works to feature actionable training wisdom delivered uh, in a funny and relatable style, and Angie and Trevor are awesome. They really want to believe, they want you to believe that you have what it takes to run a marathon and ultimately change your life. It's downloaded a ton. It's a super popular podcast, 
and you can check it out at marathontrainingacademy.com if you want to look into some of their other episodes. All right, without any further delays, let's get into this podcast chat with Angie and Trevor from the Marathon Training Academy, and we will discuss anything and everything exercise. Enjoy. All right, we're on the podcast now with Dr. Greg Wells from Toronto, Canada. His book is Rest, Refocus, Recharge, A Guide for Optimizing Your Life. Dr. Wells, how you doing? Oh, so good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Great to connect. Even if it's digitally, it's still fun to actually look someone in the eye and have a conversation. So this is great. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks for joining us. So I think first off, it would be interesting to hear what you do as a performance physiologist and a researcher in translational medicine. Maybe translate that for our audience. <laughs> yeah, translate the translational medicine. So uh, I did my doctoral training in physiology. So I study how the human body works. I was an athlete growing up and swimming. Um, after my research and, you know, PhD and all that sort of stuff, I've done a lot of cycling and triathlon. So a couple of marathons thrown in just for good measure. I uh, just love being an athlete and love studying the human body. So after my PhD, I, I actually had an interesting career where I spent about half my time in a hospital working um, as a physiologist and uh, exercise medicine researcher in cancer and cystic fibrosis, and more recently in heart conditions as well, while also doing work with the Canadian Olympic team as a uh, director of sports science for the Canadian Sport Institute. So I worked out with a couple hundred of Olympic athletes, uh, commentated a couple of Olympics and have done a whole bunch of expeditions with friends of mine who are way crazier than I am uh, to like climb mountains and run across deserts and bikes across Africa and all sorts of uh, fun stuff like that. So my day to day, other than chasing my two young children around, really revolves around knowledge translation, trying to take all of the information that we've learned and all of our research and make it applicable to everybody, hence translational medicine, just trying to help everyone understand how to get healthy, whether that's a child in the cancer ward, an Olympic athlete trying to win a medal at the Olympics, or all of us just trying to get through our day-to-day -day lives. Okay. You mentioned uh, doing a, an adventure run. Can you kind of explain maybe a couple adventures that you've been on? Yeah. So um, I've always had this propensity for travel. So I think the first really huge one that I did was in 2003, uh, literally right after I, I handed in my PhD thesis and jumped on a, a plane and flew to Khartoum, Sudan, and joined the first ever Tour d'Afrique bike race and cycled uh, about 8,000 miles through Africa. So basically from wow. Cairo down to Cape Town, that took about five months. That got in the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest human-powered crossing of Africa. I didn't get in the Guinness Book because I joined in Khartoum, not Cairo, and hit a cow in Malawi and had to take a few days off. That's another story for oh, another no. day. <laughs> uh, but it was like amazing cycling through Kenya and Ethiopia and Tanzania and Zimbabwe and Botswana, Malawi, and eventually mm. South Africa. Like That was the first real ultra adventure uh, event that we did. And then subsequently, I became really good friends with um, Ray Zahab, who ran uh, the Sahara, basically from the Atlantic to the Red Sea. I think that was 80 days consecutive uh, to get all the way across the Sahara. That was in a movie narrated by Matt Damon. Desert uh, Runners, called, right? It was called Running the Sahara, I think. Okay. But he also, I think he was in Desert Runners as well. Gotcha. Uh, and then so Ray and I went to do, uh, Ray ran across South America from Chile to Argentina, from Santiago to Buenos Aires over the Andes Mountains. So I went with him on that one as his performance physiologist and did all the blood work and monitoring. And uh, Ray and I have taken a, some groups of uh, youth ambassadors. We did a, a run in India through the Thar Desert in the northwest corner of India. That was five marathons and five consecutive days. We did that as well in the Atacama Desert in Chile. So, uh, and then I've done climbing as well. I did uh, climb a few years ago with my 
research team up Chimborazo in Ecuador. So hmm. I kind of like to go to the extremes wherever they happen to be, whether it's running across a desert or climbing a mountain or jumping in an ocean with sharks, did that at Christmas in Galapagos. Wow. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I, I just love all of that stuff. Just love pushing the limits and seeing what you can learn. Well, I think as long distance runners that are, you know, primarily in our audience, we often focus a lot on the workout side of the equation, you know, and we're not often as deliberate about recovery. And you're talking about, you know, a lot of these adventures, but you don't get that pushing to the edge without the piece of recovery. So tell us why being deliberate about recovery can help us get the most out of ourselves and just how we can feel better in the process as well. Oh, I love that idea and that question. Thanks for asking that. Um, so when I was growing up as a swimmer in the 80s and 90s, the mantra was really like high volume training, train as much as you can. Uh, I don't even know if the word recovery was in anyone's sort of mind back then. Like maybe once a year you got a massage or something like that. Like that was, <laughs> and, you know, and high performance nutrition was like carb loading before a race. So now it's completely shifted towards we really now know that if you're going to be world class in your sport, in your discipline, that what you do outside the workout is just as important as what you do in the workout. And really to truly reach your potential, being a 24 hour athlete is the way to do that. And so, yeah, you can do your long runs, you can do your strength training, you can do your mobility work, but then really you should also, not should, you can also do things like massage therapy, you can do foam rolling, you can do yoga, you can do meditation, which has got amazing results when it comes to improving health and well-being. Uh, obviously all there's all everything that we've learned about anti-inflammatory nutrition. There's the cold immersion, there's, um, compression gear that you can wear. I mean, all of these things can add to your ability to train at a higher level more often if used the right way at, at the right time. So the science of recovery and regeneration has become a, a deep passion and focus for me, partially because I'm also getting close to 50 and I want to train more. I want to work out more. And I find that funny enough, I don't recover quite as quickly as I used to. So it's become really important for me in my personal life as well. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think all this piece about recovery is so interesting. And there's so many different things. I think sometimes people get overwhelmed, like, okay, I know I need to be recovering better. Where do I start? Is there one of the pieces of the recovery puzzle that seems to rise kind of the, to the top of the mountain, so to speak, that is like a really, really good one to start with? Sleep. Yeah, it's I recommend. Hundred percent. That's right. I recommend totally. everyone sleep. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Like that's literally what was about. To, I was like inhaling to say sleep as you beat me to it. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah, sleep is everything. If you're not sleeping well, you can't make good decisions around food. We know that if you get a good night's sleep, you regulate leptin and ghrelin, two hormones that control your appetite and satiety, which is how full you feel. So if you have not slept well, your chances of actually making good decisions around food decrease dramatically. We know that if you sleep well, you release growth hormone, which repairs and regenerates so many tissues within the body. It's literally like the fountain of youth. And so you're rebuilding your muscle tissues, basically. We are also learning how much it does for the brain. There's a system that we've discovered in the brain called the gliolymphatic system that literally washes out the brain tissue every single night as you sleep, which obviously pr prevents Alzheimer's because it reduces amyloid plaque buildup, uh, decreases your risk of mental health challenges like depression and anxiety, uh, decreases your risk of cancer. We know that women who sleep more have a lower recurrence rate for breast cancer. You know, so we, there's so many things involved in sleep. So really, if you wanted to start somewhere like let's start sleeping well, let's start giving ourselves permission to get enough sleep. Let's start valuing sleep. 
and as a society, maybe you know, not try to get as little sleep as possible, but try to really optimize our sleep. And I think that's the first fundamental thing that I would do for sure if I wanted to go down this road. It's interesting because I read your book, which was awesome and right up my alley. I was really enjoying it. And then after I finished that, I'm reading a book called Successful Aging, which is basically hitting just on a lot of the things that you talk about in this book. Um, you know, like the sleep puzzle, um, the piece of the puzzle and everything. And so it was really interesting to just see how that's all backed up by science as well. Yeah, there's so much good research coming out now about sleep. It's become a field that's emerged over the last few years. We're really understanding it better. We're understanding what sleep does better, especially around this whole glial lymphatic system. We're understanding the value of sleep when it comes to different types of sleep, REM and stage one, two, three, four. They all do different things. They're all unique. REM is when we are dreaming and probably when we're wiring in memories. Deep sleep is when we're washing out the brain. There's a, there's lots going on in light sleep. I don't, I don't think we understand that one nearly as well as we, we do deep sleep and REM sleep. So it's definitely an emerging field that you want to keep your eye on because we're learning so much right now and our, our understanding is expanding so much every single year. So do you track your sleep? I do. I've got an Oura ring, which is currently charging on my desk right over there. <laughs> um, but I've got an Oura ring that I've used to learn a lot about myself. We also have a new app that we've built in my lab called Vivio. It comes out literally actually today at three o'clock. Oh my so, goodness, wow. Um, that's designed to track sleep on Apple Watch. So I use both of those right now. Um, Oura ring for the direct measurement of heart rate and um, heart rate variability. So both of those have been good. The biggest discovery I've made on that really was, which is interesting probably for your audience as being like hardcore runners, is that when you do really hard workouts, my deep sleep goes way up. So I get way more deep sleep when I do hard workouts versus light workouts. And if I get more deep sleep, my total sleep decreases. So if I do a super hard workout, I wake up after seven hours. I'm like, oh man, I thought I would have wanted to sleep more. But then I look at my data, I'm like, you got two hours of deep sleep. So that's super interesting. When I don't get a lot of deep sleep and I don't work out hard, then I actually need more sleep, which is kind of counterintuitive. But that's just some of the data that I'm learning about myself. Basically, the message is like, get a good, a really good workout in and give yourself permission to sleep until you wake up and you'll end up in a pretty good place. <laughs> is the consensus still that it's individual on how many hours of sleep per night that you need? It's been a couple of years since we had a sleep expert on the podcast and there's not like a magic number, is there? Not really. I mean, I think that the the average data, I mean, and this is sort of a normal distribution curve, right? So on average, you need approximately seven to eight hours per night uh, to have the lowest risk of all-cause mortality. That's dying of cancer, heart disease, types of diabetes, metabolic syndrome, depression, all those sorts of things wrapped up in one. And the rationale for seven to eight hours is that we have sleep cycles, and the sleep cycles take 75 to 90 minutes. In those sleep cycles, you go through all five stages of sleep. You do that over and over and over again. They take about 75 to 90 minutes. You need about five of them per night to be fully recovered. So that five times 75 to 90 minutes is somewhere in that. So like five times 90 minutes, for example, is seven and a half hours. So that's sort of the average number. Um, if you get four, that's like six hours. That's probably the, le the least amount that you can get away with consistently and still be uh, okay from a health perspective. Interestingly, if you get any more than nine hours, your risk of all-cause mortality goes up as well. So any less than six is problematic, I think, because that causes problems, whereas any more than nine is also problematic. But I think that's a symptom. Like if you're sick, you sleep a lot more. It's indicative so of sweet a problem. Spot is, yeah, yeah sweet spot is sort of seven to eight. But everyone's individual, so pay attention to yourself. And the real test is like if you wake up 30 minutes after you wake up, do you feel really good? Are you clear? Are you sharp? Are you energized? And then in the middle of the afternoon, do you feel pretty good as well? Like, are you able to get through your days without falling asleep and taking a nap? 
assuming that you're eating healthy food. I think that's the window, but it is individual. So use yourself as your own laboratory and pay attention to how you feel. And from that's your best research you could ever do on yourself. I wish I could just get by on four hours. Wouldn't that be great? Like you'd have so much more life to enjoy. I like to be awake. I think think the research, recent research, it shows that it's like 0.5% of people need less than that seven to eight hours. And there's more people who try to pretend that they need less than that amount of sleep, but they're really under-functioning and under-productive if they get less than Mm -hmm. that. So. Yeah, kind of you're absolutely correct. There's a small percentage of the population that is a genetic anomaly, let's call it. They have a genetic difference that enables them to sleep three to four hours a night and be completely recovered. I'm super jealous of all of those people. I'm <laughs> not one of them. I don't want to hear about it if you are, because you get to live more than I do four hours a day. Um, but you're absolutely right. And anyone who says that they do that is you know, probably either not accurately portraying how much they sleep or they're just simply exhausted all the time and they're not going to be able to keep it up for a long period of time. So I think for all of us, it's just like the game, actually, the easiest way to figure this out, to be completely honest with you, is like don't use a morning alarm and you're probably going to wake up after you get enough sleep, which just means you got to go to bed early enough that you wake up in time to get to work and not get fired. (laughs) So that's sort of what I've been trying to play with in this whole pandemic time. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that because during this pandemic, I have not been using an alarm. And so I typically get tired and I go to bed at pretty much the same time every night. Um, Usually have my light out between 9.30 and 9.45. And then naturally I awaken usually around 6 in the morning, between 6 and 6.15. That just seems to be my natural schedule. So it's been kind of fun just to play around with that and see exactly how my body responds. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I think that's something everyone can do right now. It's like, this is our chance to test out our physiology, like find out how much you do sleep. If you take away the light, dark, like the, you know, watching the screens at night and you take away the alarm in the morning, like when do you get tired? And if you go to bed when you're tired, when do you wake up naturally? Right. And that's maybe something that we can try to carry forwards with us after this whole pandemic um, subsides and we can reimagine our future. I don't know. I don't want us returning, quote unquote, returning to normal, right? Like we want to be reimagining a better future and crafting a better future. So now's the time when we can experiment and learn about ourselves, given that many of us are not commuting. So like we've got some time where we didn't necessarily have that before. So yeah, no, I love that idea that you just mentioned. That's great. Keep it up. So one more follow-up question on sleep. And I hesitate to ask because I'm sure I'm doing everything wrong, but um, <laughs> you are, what, can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> what can people do to sleep better? What are some practical things? Oh, yeah, that's a a great question. And obviously, like now we can get into the practical side of things. Like, how do we actually do this better? Um, One of the most important things you can do is to go to sleep at a consistent time. So go to bed at roughly the same time every night and early enough so that you wake up naturally before your alarm clock in the morning. So for me, that's ballpark, you know, somewhere between nine and ten. So that I'm waking up somewhere between five and six. That's magic for me if I do that. Everything works well. If I deviate from that, my days are just not as good. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we want to try to replicate the sun going down. So inside the brain, you've got a structure called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. You know, it's not on the test. <laughs> um, but as light decreases, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is which controls our circadian rhythms, signals to us that it's time to go to sleep. Uh, the pineal gland releases melatonin, the hormone that allow, enables us to fall asleep and control our sleep cycles. And so we want to create a digital sunset in our home. When the sun goes down or in the evenings, we want to be turning down the lights, dimmer switches, you know, turn off the TV, turn off the devices, read some fiction, talk to your family, have a hot bath, do some yoga, you know, do some stretching, read a biography, like anything that just helps you to calm down and separate yourself from the day. 
I think will make a massive difference for everyone. So that's like sort of just keeping your sleep cave dark would be another one. Uh, and then a cool room. Like we, we've found that people uh, in rooms that are sort of slightly cooler than during the day. So it's in Celsius in Canada, it's sort of 19 to 20 degrees. Um, that would be like sort of mid to low 60s in Fahrenheit is a good temperature for us to actually decrease our body temperature, which then releases melatonin. So you may need different um, thicknesses of blankets for your you and your partner. Like Judith sleeps with like an Arctic duvet and I've got a sheet and then she steals my sheet. So it's very different physiology. But those would be three tips for people. Be consistent, get away from the screens and, and sleep in a slightly cool room. And I think that'll make a huge difference, assuming you're already running and training and all that stuff, which would be the other piece of the puzzle for people that aren't necessarily doing that. Exercise dramatically improves the quality of your sleep. So in the book, you mentioned that much of how we experience stress is how we think about it. Why is it important for us to pivot from seeing stress um, as a threat to seeing it as a challenge, especially in light of current events where, you know, we feel really out of control. It's kind of like sometimes feeling like you're in a holding pattern and just that level of uncertainty is high. Yeah, it's a really important question for us. And I mean, this is all against the background of an environment where one in five North Americans will access the medical system at some point because of a mental health related challenge, depression, anxiety, or more severe um, conditions. We're in a mental health epidemic. We need to think about this, not to mention the, the whole COVID-19 scenario where there's so much anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. And we don't know, you know what the future holds with regards to this whole thing. So physiologically, what happens is that we get information from the environment through our eyes, through our ears, that information goes through our senses into our brain. A structure in your brain called the amygdala decides whether or not that information poses a threat. Uh, and everyone's amygdala is different. That's why some someone might look at a piece of information from the news and be like, eh, whatever. Another person looks at it like, ah, it's the end of the world, right? <laughs> so we've got very different internal physiology in our brain. So same event, different responses. Let's say that you respond and it is a threat. Then your hypothalamus sends a signal down through your spinal cord to two structures um, on top of your kidneys called the adrenal glands, which dump adrenaline and cortisol into your blood, which circulates around and makes you ready to fight or to run. That's why your heart pounds in your chest. That's why your mouth gets dry. Like that's the stress response. And so I believe one of the things that we can do as um, high performers, as athletes, is just like you would try to calm yourself down on the start line before a marathon. You don't want to be hyperventilating before the gun goes off, right? You're constantly just trying to let the nerves go and bring yourself back and center yourself and trust the training and stay focused on your race plan and ignore the panic of all the people around you in the crowd. Like that whole thing that we go through when we walk up to the start line of a running race is a great practice for exactly what we need to be doing right now in our lives in an environment where there's so much information coming at us that could be positive or negative, but largely it's uncertain. And when we're uncertain, we're fearful. When we're fear fearful, we experience the stress response. And the stress response doesn't usually promote high performance. You can't get a, you know, a performance review from your boss, which is a threat and stressful, and then fight or run, right? That's not a good way to keep a job. <laughs> we have to be calm, cool, and collected. And frankly, all of us as athletes can be um, inspirational. And let, let's just use the lighthouse analogy for the people around us. Calm, cool, stable, and we chart a path forwards, and everyone can come along with us to a better future. So it's really just around doing the exact same thing in your life that you would do in the five minutes before the gun goes off at a major race. And that is calming yourself down, staying focused on the moment, 
trusting in your abilities. You've been through things before. You're going to get through things again in the future. This too shall pass. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen during the race, but you've prepared. And you know what? If something happens, you're probably going to be able to adapt and respond. And maybe you got to walk up a hill, but you're still going to get to the finish line. And so that's the approach that I would love for people to take is like, let's use our skills as athletes. Let's use our training that we've all gone through to make our lives better so we can make the lives of those around us better as well to lead our families, friends and communities to a better place through this entire time. So hopefully that's the whole threat to challenge pivot that we can make. And the way to do that is literally use your training and skills that you already have developed as an athlete and just apply them to the rest of your life. Yeah, that that really makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think people who, you know, even though we don't have races that are going on right now, they can flash back to maybe when they've done a race. And there's that level of excitement at that start the starting line, but people are also stretching and breathing and just trying to be in the moment as much as possible and, and kind of turning that pressure into excitement instead of paralyzing stress. So just on that note about the feeling of excitement, just contemplate the anxiety and excitement are basically the same physiological response with a different perspective, right? So if we are trying to pivot from anxiety to excitement, that is literally um, framing things differently. That is noting things differently. That is naming things differently, all of which are eminently controllable when we use positive self-talk, for example. And again, I'm a physiologist, not a psychologist, so this would be something for a mental health and or clinical psychology or sports psychologist to delve into a lot deeper. But that positive self-talk around pivoting your thoughts to the positive can really help to shift you into a better frame of mind, whether it's right before a race, whether it's before family dinner, whether it's before you look at the news to see what's going on in the world right now. <laughs> but your point about um, excitement and anxiety is, is absolutely on point. So great. That was a great thought. I just wanted to latch on to before we moved on. That's a great one. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. That's good. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Quick break to thank our episode sponsor, Coach Soak. Yes, longtime listeners to the podcast know that I love my Epsom salt baths for recovery. And Coach Soak has taken it to the absolute next level. They use a combination of magnesium flakes and mineral-rich dead sea salt that's more effective than Epsom salt alone. It also contains 21 essential minerals, including sodium, calcium, potassium, and they also include some pure essential oils. So it really fills your bathroom with great scents and adds to the whole experience of relaxing, which of course we're talking about on the podcast today. And they've hooked up our listeners with an exclusive discount just go to their website, coachsoak.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off your first order. That's coachsoak.com and use the code MTA for 15% off. We'd also like to thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. It's one thing I forgot to bring on this camping trip is my Magic Spoon cereal. <laughs> That's because I think we were almost out. <laughs> Magic Spoon is a breakfast cereal with zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It comes in cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry flavors. It tastes amazing. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. It's just really fun to eat cereal again. Like, I went for years without eating cereal because, you know, a lot of them are just not that healthy. So when I saw this low-carb, high-protein cereal, I'm like, I'm all over that. 
We've heard from a lot of people who are trying to reduce the amount of sugar that they eat in their diet, and they really love it. And also people who have diabetes. Yeah, so go to magicspoon.com forward slash MTA to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use the code MTA at checkout, and you'll get free shipping. That's magicspoon.com forward slash MTA, and use the code MTA for free shipping. As a physiologist, do you stay in kind of communication with psychologists so that, because, you know, there's a mind-body connection that's it's kind of mysterious, but also really fascinating. So how can our negative thoughts start affecting our physiology? Yeah, really interesting. So I do. In fact, I just did a call this morning, a joint Q&A session with Samsung, and it was myself as the physiologist for the body and Dr. Robin Hanley-Defoe, clinical psychologist who works with military personnel around PTSD. So the two of us went back and forth on the whole mind-body thing, and it was amazing because I would say something about physiology of stress, and she'd say, yeah, and this is the coping mechanism. It was really, really cool. She'd I would have loved to hear that conversation. That's yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll introduce you guys. You can have her on the show. She's absolutely fantastic. And so, yeah, we I'm fascinated by the mind-body connection. I actually don't believe there is a separation between mind and body. The brain is a physical structure, and so the brain has physiology, and it's connected to the body through the nervous system, your spinal cord, and all of your nerves that go out into your, or into your organs, into your muscles, into your skin. Like It's an interconnected web, and so the brain and the body are one and the same interconnected system. Our mind is the chatter that happens as a result of, we think, the brain activity that is going on, although Deepak Chopra might argue with me on that one, but it's probably <laughs> an, an artifact of, of brain activity. And so I don't consider that there's a difference. So for example, there's a structure in your base of the brain called the medulla. The medulla controls breathing and heart rate. And so there's a link between the medulla and the structure inside the brain called the pituitary gland, which, which is involved in stress. So if you hyperventilate, for example, short, fast, choppy breaths, like when you're scared, the medulla gets activated, increases hypothalamic activity, sympathetic nervous system, the adrenal glands get activated, cortisol and adrenaline get dumped into your system. So if you're having negative thoughts, stressful thoughts, anxious thoughts, your body responds to those thoughts. Similarly, take a long, slow, deep breath, and you can actually calm the center of your brain associated with stress and interrupt hmm. the stress response, exactly like you would do on the starting line if you're noticing that you're too activated. And so that's a technique I've used. I remember one interview I did for the Olympics because I was fortunate enough to commentate the Olympics in 2010 and 2012. And I was asked to do a segment on um, Nodar Kumari Tashvili, the young athlete from Georgia who crashed on a training run right before the Vancouver Olympics um, on luge and was yeah, killed. I remember that. That was my first interview wow. in front of 10 million people. Oh, and obviously I'm freaking out. My mouth is dry. I watched the video right before I went on air. Mm. So I'm like super nervous. And, you know, as I'm watching the video and the cameras are on and the lights are on, I'm like, oh my God, I've got like 30 seconds to pull it together here. So I took three long, slow, deep breaths through my belly so no one could see it. Um, and literally brought my brain back into the moment, calmed my body down, tension dissipated, saliva returned to my mouth, I swallowed, and I was able to actually answer the question. So I was in a very negative state thinking about this young athlete who had just lost his life, super stressed, nervous, but then at the same time using breathing and sort of a centering technique was able to calm my physiology down so that my brain could function the way I needed it to, to honor and respect um, the young man in the interview where I was um, able to explain what happened. 
so that's sort of a, an application of that and something that can have we can easily apply in our own lives like maybe we're, we're in a discussion with our partner and we're having a contentious chat because we're all at home all the time and there's nothing else to do <laughs> but to dig into the issues that you've got to deal with as a family right or you read something in the news that stresses you out or you see something on social that makes you upset. Like these are chances for us to practice this centering and calming ability so that we can respond to the world, not react to it. So just a thought for you on that one. Great question though. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you so you basically you're talking about how the body can be used to bring the mind back online. I mean, it's, it's really sort of like mindfulness really. And I know mindfulness is really helpful in changing the brain. Um, can you talk about the role of meditation, mindfulness, in helping us to be more successful in our daily lives and also be more successful from a sports standpoint as well. Yeah, such a great area of growth. Like even three or four years ago, if you'd said meditation, people would have looked at you like, okay, you know, sure, man, whatever. <laughs> Just do your thing. Stay away from me. Like, but now it's like everyone's talking about meditation. Yeah. That's wonderful. I sort of see meditation like 20 years ago, that same attitude existed around yoga. Whereas now everyone's like, okay, there's yoga studios everywhere. Lots of people do yoga. It's a practice. It helps you now. I think that the exact same flow is happening when it comes to meditation. In 20 years from now, we'll all look upon meditation as a normal practice that we should definitely all do as part of our daily lives to enhance our mind and body. Um, I think mindfulness is the practice of bringing your thoughts into the present moment and being mindful and aware of your current environment. You're not thinking about the future or replaying the past. We're centered in the moment and experiencing life. I think that's a beautiful practice. We all know that that's a key to running success. For example, if you're in the middle of a 10K and you're three miles in and a few miles to go and you start thinking about how much you need to still run, <laughs> that's going to not help you. But if you think about the fact that in this particular instant, I'm running, I feel good, I'm breathing, I'm coping reasonably well with this stress, then all of a sudden you feel better because you're mindful, you've brought your attention into the present moment. And that's, a, again, a practice that we can use in all aspects of our lives. Meditation is the practice of returning your attention to the present moment. So you sit or lie down and you do nothing. It's a really weird thing, like you literally do nothing. And you just keep your attention on your breath or you keep your attention on a math mantra or you keep your attention on counting backwards. doesn't matter what it is, but then when your mind wanders, hopefully you notice it wandering and that awareness then allows you to bring it back into the present moment. This is like weight training for your brain. And so I love meditation. I've had the great opportunity to have and on my podcast, probably about 120 people so far, and like 80% of them have a meditation practice. Wow. So this is a very consistent thing that we're seeing across all high performers is this ability to practice and execute on mental control in moments of infinite distraction. Let's face it, like we're living in a world where distraction is, you know, email, text messaging, phone calls, <laughs> social media, like we live in an era of constant, unrelenting distractions, the ability to stay focused, be mindful, ignore the distractions, I believe is a complete differentiating factor between those people who are successful in all aspects of their lives, not just sports. Yeah, that's awesome. I've, I started meditating um, daily about four years ago. It was kind of one of those points where I got where I was just dealing with so much anxiety and depression. And I thought, well, you know, I have nothing to lose, I'm going to try it. And it's, and it's one of those things that keeps on giving. It's like, you never like totally master it. That's why it's a practice. But it's one of those things, kind of those keystone habits for me in my daily life that 
um, definitely makes me a better person. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And that's a, a great, like the keystone practices in your daily life. I'd actually love to know, just like, since you brought it up, like, how did you build that daily practice and how did you find that it helped your mental health? I'm just curious. Well, I started out since I was a complete beginner, I started with the Headspace app and um, they have, you know, like the, the beginner pack. I just basically started with the free beginner pack. And I think it's like maybe 10 different lessons. And then I repeated that. And it's a guided meditation that helps you go through it. Because most people who start in meditation have what's called monkey mind. And your mind just wants to go in 100 different directions. And it can be really hard to bring it back without judgment. And I think that was one of the big things is just acknowledging, oh, that's a thought. Oh, that's a feeling. And not being judgmental with yourself about it, just coming back to the breath. Um, and so I started with five minutes. After a few months, that was going so well. I upped it to 10 minutes. Um, after a year, I upped it to 15 minutes. And then I kind of went away from the guided meditations. And I, I use Insight Timer right now. And I've been doing 20 minutes a day for the last year and a half or so. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things that I recommend to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. So like Headspace is great. Calm.com is good. Yes. Um, if you've got any listeners in the UK, Unmind is a good British company that's got it going now. Choose like the Muse headband is a cool device you can use to get feedback. So definitely explore all of the above. And it's made a huge difference in my life as well. So I'm glad that, that you're finding that it's, that it's helpful. And I can testify, Angie has a bulletproof mindset. I would say bulletproof. A but... very centered person. So in, in the book, you talk about the act, feel, think sequence. And that was really interesting to me. Talk about what that is for our listeners, um, because I think it's, it's really beneficial. Yeah, I love this idea. And so let's go to the 2012 Olympics in London. There was an athlete training in Spain about a month before the Olympics. And he was doing, he's a diver, uh, Alex Despeti. And what he was practicing was this back flip on the three meter springboard. And so he did this back flip, but he hit his head on the board as he went towards the water and hit it. It caught him right below the hairline and it actually peeled his scalp back. He ended up getting, I think, 30 to 50 stitches, concussion, you know, blood everywhere, like split his head open basically on this mm. diving board one month before the Olympics. So yeah. When he went to the Olympics in London one month later, he had to do the exact same dive that he did one month before where he split his head wow. open. So I was fortunate enough, I sort of knew this was happening. So I went to the pool and I was at a press pass. So I was able to get right close to what was going on. And I noticed when he was on standing behind the diving board, his eyes were closed, shoulders were down, standing tall, completely relaxed, belly was expanding and contracting, doing those deep belly breaths. He needed a little tiny smile on his face. Then he stood up on the board closed his eyes, and I could see that he was just replaying the dive that he needed to do. And then he went out and executed this flawless dive that had a great score, but it was just cool to know because you can still see the stitches in his head, wow. right? Like, hmm. um, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy just acted like nothing was the matter whatsoever, but obviously that was an interesting approach that he took. And so what I realized was he did something called act, think, feel. He was the potential for him to be nervous was high. Uh, he needed to control that. So what did he do? He put himself into a physical posture that allowed him to feel confident, micro smile, tall body position, shoulders down, deep breathing through the belly, right? Control the body. That enabled him to do his visualization, his thinking on the process that he needed to execute in the dive. Therefore, he felt calm, cool, collected, and confident. Now, what I believe happens to the vast majority of us under normal circumstances is that we feel certain things, 
therefore we have certain thoughts, therefore we react in a certain way and our bodies do, like we get tense or something, that's feel, think, act. Hmm. Whereas world-class performers under pressure do the opposite. They act, think, feel. And so I'd encourage everyone to do that as well, thinking about that when you're faced with a difficult circumstance, whether that's someone saying something to you that is unpleasant or you disagree with, or you know more severe physical challenges, or perhaps there's a performance moment, you're going on Skype to deliver a keynote to everyone you're trying to sell your product to, big moment in business, it's the same thing. Calm down the body, center the mind, to create the feelings and emotions you need to be able to deliver with confidence, pride, you know, energy, all those sorts of things. So the goal is act, think, feel versus feel, think, act. I like it. This is really fascinating because I, I find that if I'm feeling low energy or unproductive, I need to go change my physical state. We just got a sauna recently. Sitting in that is amazing. Um, or taking a cold shower, which I try not to do very often. <laughs> yeah. Go exercising or just moving around, just going outside in the neighborhood for a walk. And I don't know, have you seen Tony Robbins' I Am Not Your Guru? It's on Netflix. And you know whether folks are a fan of Tony Robbins or not, um, obviously he's been hugely successful. And some of the things that he does to change his state, like he'll do a cold plunge in like 50 degree Fahrenheit water uh, every morning. That's the reason why I'm not Tony Robbins, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then <laughs> before he goes on stage where he talks for like an hour or two and like a high energy guy, right? Before he does that, he has a little mini trampoline and he jumps on a little trampoline and gets himself all psyched up. And then he goes out there with all his energy. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I did see that. I'm a student of high performance. So like you said, agree, disagree with what he says or, you know, all that sort of stuff. Put all that away and just study the, the human performer. And there's some yeah. interesting things. The cold plunge is definitely one that sparks adrenaline, improves concentration, focus, alertness. I was in a lake just outside my house about an hour before I came on the show just to make sure my brain was sizzling. It was, I don't know if it was 50, I think it was colder. <laughs> um, but I was like fully, you know, people stopped on the beach. Like, what are you doing? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm totally fine. It's, we're going to be, we're going to get through this together. They're like, not together. Good luck. We'll, we'll watch from here. You, you might so, be yeah, the no. first guest that we've had on the show that's prepared that way. So oh, really? yeah, <laughs> Appreciate no, I froze it. myself to get ready for this one. <laughs> but you can also do that. Like if people listening, like I'm not jumping in a lake, you can also just do um, 30 seconds of cold water on your forehead at the end of your shower in the morning. That's really good. Base of your sp um, neck works as well on your back between your shoulder blades. That's a good spot. I think sauna is an amazing practice that's got all sorts of physiological benefits we're learning so much mm -hmm. about. Um, we're getting one installed in my house as soon as possible. Oh, you're going to love it. <laughs> um, it's the greatest thing. Yoga in the sauna, also phenomenal. And what yeah. you can deal with in the sauna is learning how to practice mindfulness, right? Because when it gets hot, you start sweating, your brain will start chattering to you about like, it's time to get out. You need to get out. You need to get out. You need to get out. And you just got to let all of that go and relax into the heat. And then all of a sudden you break through to another level and then you're really getting some crazy benefits. Mm -hmm. But around changing your state, I think the easiest thing that people listening could do to practice this is think about your self-talk. So for example, if you finish the day at work and you're like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. That is going to trigger a cascade of physiological responses in the body that are going to make you tired. Whereas if you finish the day and you'll be like, man, I had a productive day. That was great. Can't wait to spend some time with my family tonight, my kids, enjoy the sunset. It's a completely different physiologic response that makes you more energized. And I, I know this only because Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe called me on that this morning. Last night I finished work at home and I went downstairs and I was talking to Judith, my wife. I'm like, I'm so exhausted. And she's like, 
maybe you should go to some yoga or something like that. I'm like, oh, don't want to do yoga. <laughs> Got upstairs, did yoga. Half an hour later, felt like a million bucks. So I was talking myself into this state, whereas I could have been talking myself into a different state. And I would encourage everyone listening to really think about like, how is it that you're speaking to yourself? And getting in shape is hard. Being out of shape is hard too. It's like, what hard are you going to choose? That's what we're all in this yeah. game for, right? And so let's choose to be healthy. Let's choose to be fit. Let's choose to do the right thing. Let's choose to have a great life. Let's choose to spend more time with our families. Let's choose to be more energetic for our communities. Let's make these hard decisions to live a life of positive impact so at the end of our days, we can look back upon our lives and have this deep sense of contentment and happiness, right? So that's what it's all about. Love it. Step outside for your run, do like a power pose, arms spread out like Superman and just say, this is going to be an amazing run today. <laughs> that's Amy Cuddy's work, right? And what Amy Cuddy yes. from Harvard Business School Presence. showed in her research was that if you adopted a power pose, which is standing up, shoulders back, hands open, that you decrease cortisol stress and increase testosterone, which is an adaptogen hormone so you can literally change your internal physiology by standing up tall by shoulders back hands open there's been lots of research that's been done that shows that if you smile you contract the muscles in your face that cause you to smile even if you do not want to smile you contract those <laughs> muscles it releases a hormone that relaxes the body oxytocin so yeah yeah it's really cool stuff and so you can literally force yourself into greatness which is kind of neat too <laughs> love it now just tell us how to force our kids into greatness <laughs> i have no idea You've lost me on that one put a pencil no in their mouth what to so force them to ever. smile <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right yeah i mean i think around the kids thing and i've got two little ones downstairs i've got a five-year-old and a 10-year-old um fortunately they're young enough that they're influenceable still whereas when they're 14 they're going to be the opposite so i you know <laughs> huge respect and admiration for anyone with a teenager, especially right now in these times. But what we found with our kids works really well is not pushing them, but pulling. And so it's like Judith and I are like, we're going to go do this. Do you want to come? And that has really helped them to see what we do and make the choice as to whether or not to come along. Some days they do, sometimes they don't, but more often than not, they do. And sometimes they're even like, can we go do that thing that you are doing without us? So it's a pull, not push. If we push people, it's not going to work. If we pull, then typically if we make that invitation, people may come along with us. And that's what it's all about. I mm -hmm. think when it comes to trying to influence others to live a better life, it's like we're going over here. It's the direction we're going. We, it's great over here. We're having fun. <laughs> We'd love for you to join us. Please come if you want to. You know, it's great. And that sort of thing. I think that attitude shift is a, a little bit of a might might help people to have a positive influence on those kids that are lying on the couch playing video <laughs> games until three in the morning. Yeah, I think positive modeling is a lot of it, um, whether it's with your own family or coworkers or friends, because you can't force someone to change. People only resist that. And it, you can become, become odious to them if you're trying to force people to change, but you can just model change and like you said, come along with me. You know, life is great and I'm choosing the right kind of hard. <laughs> And that's really important. Like it's this making this choice, right? Like what we're trying to do is just consistently make little tiny choices that make our lives better. And I'm a huge fan of the idea of 1% gains, like these little micro wins that you can add up throughout your life. If you think about it, like 1% of your day is 15 minutes. If you did 15 minutes of walking a day, you decrease your risk of breast cancer and colon cancer 24 to 40%, wow. depending on what research you're reading, right? So these little micro wins make all the difference in the world. We don't need to make massive changes. Like you know, when you start running 
and you go out and you do 1K or you know, one mile a day, that's a lot. But if you did one mile consistently every single day for you know 365 days, you're going to be in incredible shape. Obviously, then you might want to go a little bit faster, a little <laughs> bit longer, or do some intervals or do a hill. But it's the micro wins over time that add up that I think really make it accessible for people. You don't need to go make massive changes, little tiny tweaks and course corrections are what even the greatest athletes in the world do. And that's how we can consistently improve throughout our entire lives and keep going until we're 80, 90, 100, 120, who knows. Um, but that's, I think, the key to continuous improvement long term for everybody who's listening. I think, yeah, that's that's a great perspective. And I think people will really be helped by your book because you give very, very practical advice in it. It's like, if you have one minute, you know, you can do these things to improve right now if you have one hour. So it's like very implemented. It's not like some pie in the sky thing like, oh, I wish I could do that. So I think this is the book we need for 2020 for sure. I hope so. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so, sort of bizarre because it was the worst time in probably in the last 20 years to launch a book. It literally launched the week that the, everything got shut down. So Ugh. every bookstore was closed. But when you think about it, it's actually like it's the book that we've been all forced to live, right? Like we've mm -hmm. been all forced to step back, to rest, recharge, to um, stop doing everything. We're not allowed you know, for a while there. We weren't allowed to. Well, we had to socially distance and physically distance, which I'm a fan of in, in order to you know flatten the curve and keep from overwhelming our medical system. I think it's very straightforward data on that one. And so now what we can do is really think about what do we take with us from this time as we reimagine the future that actually is positive. And there's positives and there's negatives. So let's throw away all the negative stuff and let's take the positive stuff and move forward. So maybe we're having dinner with our families. Cool. Um, maybe we discovered how to work from home. Some people like it, some people don't. If you did, try to work that into your life moving forwards. Maybe we had a little bit more time to exercise. Great, let's get better at running. Maybe we discovered, oh, you know what? I junk. I ate a lot of junk food at this time. <laughs> Maybe I need to keep that not in my house anymore, right? And so then you can make that sort of course correction and micro win. So I think that's definitely the, the way to navigate this moving forwards is like, let's reimagine the future. Let's take the positives. Let's throw away all the negatives and craft a beautiful future for us and our families and our communities moving forwards. So what you're saying is that we should rest, refocus, and recharge. That's You know what? I just read a book about that. Yeah, <laughs> that. that's a great title. <laughs> yeah. Definitely everyone go check it out. And uh, Dr. Wells, where can people connect with you and find you online? Uh, if you want to find me online, everything's on my website, at Dr. Greg Wells. Um, everything, all my social media handles are, are that pretty active on Instagram right now. But flip me notes from my website. Super thrilled to connect with anyone. And if you just mentioned that you're part of this community, um, when you make that note, I'll answer you and make sure I get to your questions. I'll try to answer every single person's question that comes on and love to say hi to everybody. And thanks for having me on your show, guys. Really honored and privileged to be here. Keep doing what you do. Awesome. Well, thanks for speaking with us. And it's a fascinating conversation. And someday we'll have to have you back on the show. Yeah, we'd love that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Once all this comes down and things are yes. a little bit back to normal, that would be just so spectacular. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Right. Enjoy the rest take of your care. day. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everyone, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Amy and Trevor Spencer from the Marathon Training Academy podcast. Check it out, marathontrainingacademy.com. I hope that inspired you to get out there, get fit, get active, do more, and get some context around like why we need to do it and how we need to do it and little things that you might be able to do even better. So thanks for listening. If that was helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you shared the podcast episode with people who might benefit as well. Uh, feel free to give me a review on iTunes. That's so incredibly helpful. If you uh, have a chance to get in there and write a review on the podcast, that would be massive. 
And of course, follow me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. All right, everyone, that's it for this week. Get out there, get active, stay safe, practice physical distancing, wear a mask when you're close to people, protect them from you, and let's keep reopening the world and making it a better place. That's it for this week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.